take your minds to the book of Matthew chapter 6 and verse 9. In Matthew 6 and 9, we find where the Lord gives a uh, model prayer, you might say. He gives a pattern to his disciples concerning prayer to help them in their prayer life. This is not a prayer that the Lord prayed. It's a pattern again, giving the disciples an outline, giving them some structure to help them in their communications with God. In that sixth chapter of Matthew, which is the Sermon on the Mount, we find where the Lord addresses three areas of Jewish life in that day that can be seen in the public um, uh, you know, scene, so to speak. And that was when they gave alms to the people, when they fasted and when they prayed. In all three of these areas, the Lord is rebuking the hypocrites, which without question, I think, were the Pharisees. And he spoke concerning the hypocrites that when they fasted, uh, they disfigured their faces. In other words, they, they wanted people to notice how pious and how godly they were because they sought rewards from men. But the Lord told them that their father, which seeth in secret, he said, shall reward thee openly, and be not like those hypocrites when you fast. And when you give your alms, he says, don't let your left hand know what your right hand doeth. Uh, he says, you're not to stand on the street corners and do these things in public in a manner and way in which draws attention to yourself. He says, for your father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. And then he comes to prayer. He says, when you pray, use not vain repetition. Now, the Lord didn't tell us that we couldn't repeat things. But there's a difference between repeating something and repeating it in a vain manner, in a vain way. And the Pharisees had these long prayers they liked to pray. And again, they would get on the street corners in the busiest places in town where they could be seen and people would see them. And they was wanting to be commended by men. But the Lord said you should enter into your closet when you pray. He says, this between you and God, this is not something that be put on display. And use not vain repetition. See, when the Lord Jesus Christ went to the Garden of Gethsemane, he prayed this prayer. He says, O Father, if it be thy will, let this cup pass. But if not, thy will be done. The Lord prayed that prayer three times. That's repetition. But who would say that was vain repetition, right? Obviously it was not. So he's not condemning repetition per se, but he's condemning vain repetition, repeating things just to be repeating things. And the hypocrites were really good at that. <laughs> they specialized in it. So the Lord tells his disciples, he says, when you pray, you pray in this manner. Our Father, which art in heaven, Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. That's the first part of that prayer. Notice here, he says, when you pray, you pray in this manner. Here's an example. Here uh, is a pattern to go by. Our Father, which art in heaven. Now, in the Sermon on the Mount, those three chapters, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, the Lord refers to God as being the father of those disciples 16 times. He says, thy father, thy father, thy father. Once he refers to God as being his father. 
The emphasis in the Sermon on the Mount is let those disciples know that the God who they prayed to was also their Father. And I've said many times, when we pray to God, how wonderful it is to know that we can address Him not only as the God of creation, not only as the one who gave me my existence and gave you your existence. We pray to the one who just spoke the world into existence. That holds all things by the word of his power. He is the creator God of the entire universe. We're here simply by the work of creation. But the Lord's people can address him as their father. Now that's, that's real comforting to me. It's really important to me to know that when I talk to God, I can talk to him as my father because he is my father. So he says, when you pray, you pray in this manner, our father. Now, notice he didn't say when you pray, you pray in this manner, my father. That, that would be true. But see, I need to be concerned with others besides myself. I'm concerned with the entire family of God. I'm concerned with the families of this church. I'm concerned with people I know, other family members and friends, etc. So when I pray, it's not my father which art in heaven. That's a true statement. But he says, when you pray, you pray in this manner, our father which art in heaven. Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. God's name, God's kingdom, God's will are all brought to our attention. Then the Lord says, you pray, give us this day our daily bread, showing we believe in the providence of God and the caring of God. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us for our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And that's an interesting way to put that. Lord, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive others. Now, when you look at it that way, it'll make you more serious about how you forgive people because the Lord's going to forgive you just like you forgive somebody else. So give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the power and the honor and the glory forever and ever. Amen. That's, that's short. But when you break it down, we find there's a lot in there. But let's notice again how it starts. When you pray, you pray in this manner. Our Father, which art in heaven. Now the Lord made it real clear in Matthew 23, 8, 9, and 10, there were certain titles that disciples were not to use when they addressed men. He says, call no man rabbi, for you have one master. And call no man master, because you have not many masters, but one master, and that master is Jesus Christ. He says, and call no man father upon the earth, for you have one father, your father, which is in heaven. Now, he's not telling you this wrong for you to call your biological father your father. That's not under consideration here. In fact, in the Ten Commandments, we find where God tells us that we're to honor our fathers and our mothers. But I'm not to call any man on this earth father in a religious way. I'm not to call any man on this earth father in a spiritual way. But people do it all the time. So you might say, well, why do people do that, Brother Lawrence? Well, there's only two reasons as far as I know. One, they're just ignorant of what the Lord said. They're not informed it's right there if you read the Bible, and some people, if they read the Bible, may not read the whole Bible. They'll read the New Testament versus the Old Testament. I can guarantee you that. For one reason, it's shorter. 
And they think it's a little easier to understand than the Old Testament, which both of those statements are true. And if they've read it, then they just simply disrespect it, disregard it. Call no man father upon this earth. Jesus made it very, very plain. You've got a father, you've got a heavenly father who cares for you. Now, in the 20th chapter of the Gospel of John, I'd like to take a look at an experience in connection with all this of a woman named Mary Magdalene. Mary Magdalene had seven devils that the Lord cast out, and she loved the Lord. Everything you read about Mary certainly proves that. It uh, certainly shows that she loved the Lord dearly. And after the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ, on the first day of the week, we read where Mary came to the sepulcher. And she came there right after Peter and John had been. Remember the story of Peter and John, how they'd received the news of the resurrection of Christ from the other women. And they had gone there, and John outran Peter. But when Peter got there, he, he didn't even put on the brakes. He just went straight on into the sepulchre. That's just like Peter, isn't it? And they saw an empty tomb. And the Bible says, and they left and went home. But Mary was standing outside the sepulchre, and Mary was weeping. Her heart was broken. The one she loved so dearly had been crucified and placed in that barred tomb. And so there she was, standing outside weeping, but the Bible says then she stooped down and looked in. And I'm going to tell you this morning, there's things you will see when you stoop down and look in that you will not see standing. It's important we get down sometimes. She stooped down and looked in, and she saw an empty tomb from the standpoint of the body of Jesus, but it wasn't empty because there was two angels there dressed in white. And one was at the head, and one was at the feet of where Jesus had lain. Notice, had lain, meaning he wasn't there now. Jesus had already been resurrected, so why in the world are those angels there? I don't think they're there guarding the tomb. The tomb is empty. There's nothing of value in that tomb anymore. But the Lord knew Mary was going to come along for a visit. So the Lord sent a couple of messengers for her. Here are these two angels, and we notice the two angels are not side by side. The two angels are separate. One at where the head of Jesus was, and one where the feet of Jesus was. And if you take a look at that, I hope you can see a picture of something in the Old Testament called the Ark of the Covenant and the Mercy Seat. And the holiest of alls in the tabernacle was the Ark of the Covenant. Inside the Ark of the Covenant was the golden pot of manna, which pictured the Lord Jesus Christ as the bread of life. There was the two tables of the law, which pictured the Lord Jesus Christ as being the satisfaction of the law. He crossed every T, he dotted every I, he kept the law to a jot and a tittle. He did what man couldn't do. He did what you couldn't do, and I couldn't do. He kept the law in every sense of the word. The Lord Jesus Christ never sinned in mind, never sinned in body, never sinned in his heart, never sinned in feeling, never sinned in emotion, never sinned outside, inwardly. He never sinned. He was the perfect Lamb of God. And then there's Aaron's rod that budded. Wonderful story behind all of that. But here we find where the rod that Aaron had, God brought life out of him, though it was a dead piece of wood. And the Lord Jesus Christ is the life giver. All that's in the Ark of the Covenant, and it's covered by the mercy seat. But on each end of the mercy seat are two cherubims. And those cherubims stretch for, have wings. They stretch forth their wings to their wings touch. Now that Ark of the Covenant was just a little bit shorter than what a man would have been. 
That Ark of the Covenant was probably around four to four and a half foot long, pretty much the length of this communion table here in front of us. And so there, right where the body of Jesus was, at the head and also at the feet. And when Mary Magdalene looked in, the angel said unto her, Why weepest thou? If she'd have found the body of Christ, then that would have been something to weep over. Because that meant the Lord was not truthful. He really proved he really wasn't the Lord. But the, the tomb was empty. But I can understand why she wept. I mean, the Lord had cast seven devils out of her, had restored her mentally. And now her Savior that she loves so much has been crucified. She goes there. She looks in. He's not there. They said, why weepest thou? And the Bible says she turned around and she saw Jesus. But Jesus didn't allow her to realize he was Jesus. She did not know him. Now this pretty important point, I think. Why would she not have recognized Jesus? She'd seen him many times. He personally had cast those seven devils out of her. She knew what he looked like. He wasn't disguised. But yet on this occasion here, God supernaturally did not allow her to recognize who he was. Reminds me of Luke chapter 24 after the resurrection of Christ when he's on the road to Emmaus. And there were two disciples walking on that road and they were discussing the events of the day. And the Bible says that Jesus drew near them and joined himself to them. But they don't know it's Jesus because the Bible says their eyes were holding, which means their eyes had been closed. Now, that didn't mean their eyelids literally were closed, but their eyes of understanding were closed. Their eyes of recognition were closed. They did not recognize this was the resurrected Christ. Interesting conversation takes place. They're talking about it. Finally, they turn to Jesus and say, are you a stranger here in these parts? Don't you know what's been going on around here? And the man they're talking about, the subject matter is Jesus Christ, the Savior himself. But their eyes were not open till the Lord opened them. And the same thing with Mary. She did not know him. But we find the Lord says unto her, Mary. And when he called her name, she instantly recognized him and called him Ramoni, which means master. In John chapter 10, verse 27, the Lord Jesus Christ said, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. It takes the life-giving voice of the Lord Jesus Christ to speak to one dead in trespassing sins for them to know him. Now, Mary, this is not what happened here in Mary, but when he spoke Mary's name, she instantly recognized this was the Son of God. This was Jesus Christ. This is the one that she came to see. She first of all thought he was the gardener. And she said, if you just tell me where you've taken him, laid him, I'll go get him. <laughs> now she recognizes it's Jesus. And then the Lord tells her something that's prompted many questions. The Lord said, touch me not, for I have not yet ascended unto my Father. But go. Now I think what the Lord says here answers most of the questions about this. He says, go and tell my brethren that I have that I ascend unto my Father and your Father and to my God and your God. Now, Jesus had something for Mary to do. Mary came to worship. She came to adore. There'd be plenty of opportunity because Jesus is going to stay on this earth for 40 days after his resurrection. The time of his resurrection to his ascension was a 40-day period of time. And he appeared unto the disciples numerous times during that period of time. Mary Magdalene would have plenty of opportunity 
to embrace the Lord Jesus Christ before he ascended back to heaven. But right now, as she came as a worshiper, she came as an adorer, she came as a mourner, but now Jesus wants her to be a messenger. She's to go and tell his brethren. And notice this expression. Go and tell my brethren that I've not yet ascended to my father and your father and my God and your God. Jesus never said in his entire ministry, our God or our father. He always made a separation, a distinction. My God, your God, my father, your father. Go and tell my brethren. Prior to this, those who follow the Lord and Jesus Christ were referred to as disciples and as servants and as friends. You go back to John chapter 13, you find where the Lord Jesus Christ laid aside his garments, poured water in the basin, washed the feet of his disciples. And he says, a servant is not greater than his master. He's letting them know that they're all servants. They're all on the same plane, the same level. And then in John chapter 15, we find where the Lord said, Greater love hath no man than this, and a man lay down his life, what? For his friends. These brethren that she's going to give the message to are servants, and they are disciples, and they are friends, but here for the first time he calls them brethren. He calls them brethren because now they are sharing in the power and value of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Go and tell my brethren. It just dawned on me just a short time ago, that expression, my brethren. From this time forward, as you read the Bible, the word brethren is going to be used in a dominant manner, in a dominant way. In contrast to how it was used prior to this time. Go and tell my brethren, you're, these are my brethren. Now think about that for a minute. When we come here, when I speak to you, I always say brother so-and-so and sister so-and-so. I never call you by your name without putting sister or brother in front of it. If I see you during the week somewhere, I'm not going to say your name without putting brother and sister in front of it, generally speaking. Why is it? Because we have a spiritual kinship that overrides and supersedes even our natural kinship one for another. Jesus called those disciples his brethren. We're talking about the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, God's beloved Son, the Messiah himself, is calling them brethren. That ought to humble every single one of us. That the Lord Jesus Christ would look at me and call me his brother. In the 22nd Psalm, which is a messianic psalm, go read it. It'll give you great details about the sufferings of the Lord Jesus Christ. There are some things contained there that you will not read in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And one of the verses in verse 22 of chapter 2 of the Psalms 22, it says, I will praise thy name in the midst of the uh, I'll praise thy name unto my brethren in the midst of the church while I sing praise unto thee. You come over to Hebrews chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. And the writer here is going to draw from that 22nd Psalm, that verse I just gave you. It says, For both he that sanctifieth and they which are sanctified are all of one, of which cause he's not ashamed to call them brethren. Jesus is not ashamed to call those he died for his brethren. He says, I will sing thy praises of my brother in the midst of the church. In Psalm 22, it says, in the midst of the congregation, having reference to the same thing. Go and tell my brethren, those who are in my family. You see, the Lord Jesus Christ came to this world. He took upon himself a body of flesh and blood. 
he became man. He was God, the God man. He was all man and all God. He was not half man and half God, all man and all God. But we need to understand that the Lord Jesus Christ was the Son of the Father, different than we're sons of the Father. And there's a difference now how we see him on this side of the cross and we saw him on the other side of the cross. I'll illustrate this with the life of the Apostle John. When the Apostle John was there with the other apostles when they were, had met for the Passover supper, and then the Lord instituted the Lord's Supper, you'll find where the Apostle John leaned on the bosom of the Lord Jesus Christ. Picture that. He was the apostle whom the Lord loveth. That expression is used several times in John's Gospel. He loved them all, but John seemed to be especially close to the Lord in certain ways. He leaned upon the bosom of the Lord Jesus Christ. This same apostle in Revelation 1.17, when he sees the resurrected, glorified Christ, falls at his feet as dead. What a difference. What, how, what an awe, what a difference here when you recognize and realize the reality of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. I've been reading and studying about the resurrection of Christ for nearly 50 years. I've been a believer of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ since I was a young teenager. But every once in a while, the reality of the resurrection of Jesus Christ hits me hard. You can believe something and not really feel the reality of it sometimes. When you feel the reality of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, it'll change your attitude toward death. When you feel the reality of the death, the burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ, they're not just words. It's just not a doctrine in the Bible. It actually happened. It actually took place. A man named Jesus left heaven and came into this world. And this man named Jesus made an offering and sacrifice on Calvary. This man, Jesus took my sins and my iniquities own body to the tree of the cross. This same Jesus was laid in a barred tomb. This same Jesus, after three days and three nights, as he said he wouldn't be self-resurrected. It's when I feel the reality of that that it really stirs my heart and stirs my soul. Put in the words of Elder Joe Nettles. <laughs> Got a text from Joe Nettles this week. You know Joe. He said, Brother Lawrence, I just heard your sermon today on Grace Long Radio and it stirred my stick. <laughs> what am I supposed to mean? <laughs> I understand what he was saying. When you realize the reality of the doctrine that the Bible teaches, that you believe in, that you try to, to understand more and more about it and defend and come to hear preach from time to time, when you really feel the reality of it, that's when it stirs your stick. That's when it really stirs your heart and stirs your soul. When the Lord Jesus Christ was on the cross, he made seven sayings. One of them was this. He says, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And in Luke chapter 23, the Lord Jesus Christ said to the Father, I commend my spirit into thy hands. We notice how Jesus referred to him on the cross as his Father and also God. When Jesus said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? That's the God-man relationship. When he says, Father, I commend my spirit into thy hands, that's the God-son relationship. When Jesus Christ hung upon the cross, 
He hung there as the Son of God and the Son of Man. As the Son of Man, he represented man. As the Son of God, he represented God. He's a mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Aren't you glad you got a mediator, one to come between you and the Father? There's just one mediator. There's not multiple mediators. And it's not a woman. It's not an earthly man. It's not some earthly priest, etc. It's the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. There's one mediator between God and men. It's the man Christ Jesus. If you don't believe in the reality of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, then you don't have a mediator that's in heaven. If you've got a mediator in heaven, you've got one on the right hand of the majesty on high. That must mean he's no longer in the tomb. He's not in the grave. He came forth from that grave just like he said he would. I want to feel the reality of that every single day that I get out of bed and my feet hit the floor. I want to feel the reality of the death, the burial, and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's my only hope of being in heaven one day is what Jesus did for me. What Jesus did for me. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? The Son was forsaken of the Father or of God so that you would never be forsaken. His spirit was committed to the hands of his Father. He says, Mary, you go and you tell my brethren and you tell them I send unto my Father and your Father and my God and your God. Not our Father, our God, my Father, my God, your Father, your God. The Bible says Mary went and did as she was told. Maybe she was disappointed not to have a little more time with Jesus, but Jesus is going to give her time later on. But right now she became the messenger. She took the message. What a message it was. You know, it was sisters. It was women who were the last ones to leave the cross. It was sisters. It was women, the first ones to come to the grave. No, did they have the message? And they took it back and they declared it to those disciples, but Jesus referred to them as his brethren. You go and tell my brethren. <laughs> In the book of Romans chapter 8 and verse 29, Paul says, Moreover whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of the Son. He might be the firstborn of what among men, among many brethren. Paul calls the family of God brethren. Let's notice it again. Moreover whom he did predestinate, he also called when we call them, he also justified and justified them, he also glorified. What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? Moreover, whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate, be conformed to the image of his Son. That's what Jesus Christ has done, is doing. That he might be the firstborn. That word firstborn means rank. It means dignity. He's the firstborn among many brethren. He's number one in rank, number one in dignity. And what's under consideration here? The Lord Jesus Christ referred to God as his father time and time and time again during his earthly life and earthly ministry. But he also told his disciples that they had a God in heaven they could address as father. When you pray, you pray in this manner. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. The name of God is hallowed. The name of God, that word hallowed means holy. It means pure. There's not a name in existence to match up to that name. Holy, holy is thy name. Hallowed is thy name. Pure is thy name. Reminds me of Psalms 111 verse 9. He says, He has sent redemption unto his people. He hath commanded his covenant forever. Holy and reverend is his name. That word reverend has reference to God. It's not a name I could ever feel comfortable with anybody addressing me as. Sometimes people call me that but they just don't know any better. And you know, they call me that before I have any chance to tell them not to call me that. 
And then if I have the opportunity, I say, well, we really don't go with that. And here's why we don't go with that. It's only used one time in the Bible, and it's God's name. It's not my name, it's God's name. Holy and reverend is His name. His name is holy, His name is reverend. His name is hallowed. Everything we can do, if we do it to the praise and honor of God, must be done around the name of Jesus. In Colossians chapter 3, Verses 12 down through about verse 15 and 16, he says, One, whatsoever you do in word or in deed, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're doing something in word, if you're doing it in deed, and you can't say it's in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, then you shouldn't say it and you shouldn't do it. That's just a good test. Can I add the Lord's name to what I just said? Can I add the Lord's name to what I just did? If I can't add it, I don't need to say it and I don't need to do it. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 20. He says, Giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, I tell you, I, I have so much to be thankful for, don't you? <laughs> oh, I'm telling you, it's just uh, incredible uh, what I have to be thankful for today. You don't have enough time to dress in the day and, uh, for, stand, and sit here and let me tell you about it. It would take me that long just to scratch the surface, just to get started of how good God's been to me, how great God's been to me, what I should be thankful for. But I'm to do it in His name, thankful in His name because every good blessing has come from Him. Right? He's been given a name which is above every name. I love that in Philippians chapter 2. Where Paul tells us he humbled himself on the death in the death of the cross. And God hath highly exalted him, given him a name which is above every name, the name of Jesus. Every knee should bow and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's going to happen some sweet day. It's going to happen. Every knee is going to bow. Every tongue is going to confess what? That Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father because he's given him a name which is above every name. What name could be above the name Jesus? When the angel said unto Joseph, that was conceived, you know, in Mary's of the Holy Ghost, thou shall bring, she shall bring forth the Son, thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sin. The word Jesus means Savior. What name could there be greater than that name? <laughs> the number one name in the world for boys is John. The number one name in this world for girls is Mary. I can understand that. And I'm going to tell you, we got some lovely Marys in our congregation and some pretty fair Johns. <laughs> but no name matches the name Jesus. No name. It means Savior. In Matthew 1, 23, the writer tells us that... the. The word Emmanuel comes to our attention, which means uh, his name should be called Emmanuel. He's God with us. Aren't you glad you got a God in heaven, my friends, that you can dress as Father? I guess I got, on, got to think about this, this being Father's Day, and I thought, well, every day ought to be the Father in Heaven's Day, right? <laughs> and 52 Sundays of the year is Father's Day when it comes to our Heavenly Father. This is the Lord's Day. Father's Day, if you please. Our Heavenly Father's Day. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Holy is thy name. Pure is thy name. Reverend is thy name. That's the name above every name. The name of Jesus. Every knee should bow. Every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory 
of God the Father. That's going to happen one day. I mean, every knee without exception. Every tongue without exception. That's why I take very seriously the fourth of the Ten Commandments over here, the third, I believe, the Ten Commandments over here. And the Lord said, Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. When I use God's name, I want it to honor God, not dishonor Him. That's the only time some people ever use the name of the Lord is when they use it in vain. Do you know that? They don't use His name any other way except when they're mad, when they're angry, when they're frustrated. And the next thing you know, words come out of their mouth. And the Lord's name is in it. And it's used in vain. Oh, what a name. When we preach, we preach in his name, don't we? Have you ever heard me preaching any other name? <laughs> You've never heard me preaching any other name. And Lord willing, you're never ever going to hear me preaching any other name. Jeremiah said in Jeremiah 20 and verse 9, I thought I'd speak not in the name of the Lord anymore, but his word was in my heart as a fire in my bones. I was weary and forbearing, and I could not stay. He said, I gave thought about not speaking his name anymore. Jeremiah was the weeping prophet. Jeremiah spent so much time in the dungeons and in the, in the caves and everything else. I can see him getting so discouraged. He thought, I just need to lay this thing aside. But my friends, God had put it in his heart to speak in his name. He just couldn't lay it down. Couldn't lay it down. We preach in his name. We give thanks to his name. Everything we do in deed or in word we do in his name. Jesus said, where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of thee. God forbid we should ever gather together as we have on this occasion today in any other name than the name of Jesus. We're not here in my name. We're not here in your name. We're here in the name of Jesus. Where two or three are gathered together, what? In his name. I believe that's how we gather together today. I believe we gather together in the name of Jesus, don't you? Oh, Yes. Yes, indeed, we preach in his name, we baptize in his name, do we not? Jesus said in Matthew chapter 28, when he gave that commission to the apostles, he said in verse 19 and 20, he said, I have all power both in heaven and earth. Go and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of what? The Father. In the name of the Father, the name of the Son, and the name of the Holy Ghost. Teach them to observe all things which I have commanded you. And lo, I'll go with you all the way to the end of the world. Yes, we baptize in the three-in-one Godhead's name, in the name of the Father. It starts off with the Father. <laughs> Aren't you glad you got a Father? I tell you, we, if, me, if, you got, if, if he's your heavenly Father, then you're his son. <laughs> you're his child. That word son applies to the sisters as well. I hope you understand that. Yes, sir, you've got a heavenly father you can pray to, that you can address. That means you belong to the family. You belong to the family. So we baptize in the name of the three and one God, the Father and the Word and the Holy Ghost. Everything we're to do, we're to do in the name of the Lord and Jesus. Whatsoever you ask in my name, Jesus said, he says, you shall receive it. You shall receive it if it's asked in the name of Jesus. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Where is the Father at? He's in a place called heaven, isn't he? I tell you, the way some people use that word heaven, I wonder if they realize it's a real place or not. It's a real place. Jesus came from a place called heaven. Jesus said, when you pray, you pray in this manner, our Father, which art in heaven. We're to recognize that's a place, that's a real place where the Father's at. He sent his Son from that place. Jesus said in John chapter 6, verses 38 and 39, For I came down from heaven. If heaven isn't a real place, where did Jesus come from? <laughs> it's a real place. 
It's just as real as this earth right here. In fact, it's more real as far as I'm concerned. About every day I live, I think I'm living a life of illusions. I just can't believe everything's happening going on around me. What about you? <laughs> That's right. This world is always trying to deceive, always trying to trick, always trying to get you to believe things that's not true. But I want you to understand something that is true. I want you to understand there's a place called heaven, and that's where the eternal God is. Isaiah 66, 1 says that God's throne is in heaven, and this earth is his footstool. Yes, there's a real throne in heaven, and that's, that's where God's at. He's on his throne. That's why you can read like Hebrews chapter 4, let us come boldly to the throne of grace that we might obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. There's a throne, an occupied throne of a risen Savior in a place called heaven. It's where Jesus came from, where Jesus went back to. I love reading the first chapter of Acts. After 40 days, the Lord Jesus Christ now has finished his business right here on this world. in this world. He's finished it all. I'm glad I can preach about somebody who knows how to finish a work. And Jesus knows how to do it, and Jesus did it. On the cross, he said, it is finished. Everything the Father sent him to do, he completed. He crossed every T and dotted every I. He finished the work. And now, he spent 40 more days on this earth, but he's ready to go back home to be with the Father. Oh, how he must have felt. You know, as Brother Tim said in the beginning, it's good to go here and go there, but it's nothing like coming back home. <laughs> it's nothing like being with the home folks. Nothing like being with your family whether you're in the natural realm or in the spiritual realm. I, I enjoy preaching to other congregations. enjoy going up. The Lord's blessed me to preach at over 300 churches in my lifetime, uh, 25 different states from coast to coast. And I, and I got dear friends and dear brothers and sisters in all so many different places all around. I can travel just I, hardly anywhere I could travel today. If I broke down and had car trouble, I wouldn't have somebody within an hour's drive and closer most of the time I could call who would come and try to help me. But well, there's no place like home. <laughs> there's no place like the home, folks. <laughs> there's no place like those that you love and you think about and you pray about and you pray for and you, they're in your mind, they're in your heart. It's nothing like that. And that's, that's how I feel about you. <laughs> Where was I? All right, go John chapter 13. <laughs> In John chapter 13, it says, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew his time had come to depart out of this world to be with the Father. Where is the Father? He's in heaven. That's where he's at. His time had come. He's ready to leave this world. His time had come. In Acts chapter 1, he ascends right into heaven, right into clouds, right into glory. And there were angels there once again. The angels were always at the, at the side of the Lord Jesus Christ in the most strategic times. And then there's angels there. There's men dressed in white. And there's also men of Galilee. And they're gazing at this sight as they see this man justify the law of gravity. And he's just lifted up from off the earth right here. And he's just going right up into the atmosphere, out of sight, right into the clouds. I remember when I was over in 1999... I stood pretty close to where that happened. I, I couldn't pinpoint it, but I looked all around. I made sure I looked all around so I could say, I saw where he went up. <laughs> I took a big panoramic view, brother. I know I was close. <laughs> he went away in the clouds. But in 1 Thessalonians 1 and 10, it says, We shall wait for him who shall come from heaven. In chapter 4 and verse... 16, it says, For Jesus shall descend from heaven with the voice of the archangel and the trump of God, 
Heaven is a real place where Jesus came from. It's a real place where Jesus went back to. It's a real place where he's coming back from to get us one day and take us into heaven. I tell you, if I wasn't trying to preach this this morning, I'd go somewhere where I'd hear somebody else preaching. That's right. You're not going to hear what I'm trying to preach just anywhere and everywhere out here in the religious denominational world. I'm going to go where it's preached, and that's right here, and I'm going to preach it right here. If I didn't preach it, I'd go where somebody else did. When you pray, you pray in this manner. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. He's got a kingdom. Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us for our trespass. We give those who trespass against us. Lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the power, the honor, and the glory. We might continue this later. I don't know for sure. We just actually got rolling here on the first part of that verse. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. When you pray, you pray in that manner.